I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Accepted. The podcast. the podcast. And I'm not Theo. And I'm not Juliet. And we're totally ready for this podcast. It's going to be the best one we've ever done. Um, it's going to be about a bunch of people doing things that they sh- shouldn't be doing and trying to apologize in some way later. Right. And like every podcast. Like every podcast, exactly. That's that's how we make that our we money do. off of people apologizing. And we're, we're raking our money in by the score. And I just realized that my... Uh, Computer is not plugged in. Oh my god! What does that mean? Get some power going here. I I don't have power. Oh, okay. I thought for a minute, like not plugged into the internet. But then, how am I talking to you? (laughs) It's uh, the cable is right here, but it's not plugged in. Which is, uh, I am so firing Charles. He's going to be fired today. That's our our imaginary uh, Arizona assistant, Charles. He's our junior engineer. Oh, you should before you fire him, you should beat him while you legally can. Can I? Is well, it you can beat anybody who you employ. I guess so. It you can throw things case. at them. Oh, I can't wait to throw something at Charles. Charles! God. Anyway. He's never around. So, <laughs> I don't know where he is. He, he's, he should be walking the dog. Hopefully he is. Okay. So today we're talking about um, Hollywood. Very exciting. Theo knows a little bit about Hollywood, having lived there for a while and worked uh, in West Hollywood for a number of years. Yeah, I well, never lived in Hollywood. Anybody that lives in L.A. for more than a day basically has some association with Hollywood, right? Yeah. Uh, every waiter is an actor, screenwriter. Every yeah. every person is doing something to pay the bills so that's while really they work. True, in- huh? I I mean, yeah, I'm gonna say it's pretty true. There's loads of there's loads of people that live outside of. Um, Hollywood, West Hollywood, sort of that uh-huh. stretch from downtown towards the beach, who are just normal people living their lives. But then they have a right. friend who's an actor. I mean, I have so many friends who've... I see. God, listen to me. I have so many There's friends so many who've friends. been on TV. <laughs> There's so many friends who've done like a bit part, right? Like, oh, yeah. an extra. Or I had a friend who... It's my favorite one. Um, I had a friend who was a costume designer for Chi-Chi LaRue, gay porn. Ooh. Yes. Wow. And what kind of costumes do gay porn It didn't with? matter because they didn't wear them very long. <laughs> I mean, and his main job was like sewing them back up because they would get ripped off. And then they have oh to be God. stitched because we have to do that scene again. You did look lusty enough oh or something, God. I guess, right? Wow. Yeah. So um, I had a friend who cleaned up after porno sets or shots. Uh, and yeah. yes, and... He did that for, ooh, it feels like a month. Um, (laughs) I bet it felt like longer than a month to him. For him, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Way longer than a month. But anyway, that's not what this episode is about at all. Although I'd like to hear an episode about that sometime. Oh, there'll be a porn apology somehow, (laughs) some way, somewhere. 
can't wait for that one. We'll we'll make that one of our extras for when we go on vacation. Okay, perfect. Podcast extra. Um, so, okay. So, the Hollywood Reporter published an article on April 7th of this year called Everyone Knows He's an Absolute Monster, which is a great way to start an article. Scott Rudin's ex-staffers speak out on abusive, bleh, abusive behavior. And the article starts with the story of how Rudin, who is one of the most powerful producers in both Hollywood and on Broadway. Now, what has he done? I don't know what he's done. He's done... A bunch of stuff that oh my apparently God. won a bunch of awards. You and can't I, I read name about them and something I was like, I don't even know. That he, he's in everything, period, right? You cannot name a show that he wasn't involved with, right? On Broadway or in Hollywood or both? But both. Uh, so, really? Oh, yeah. So he's I was got, surprised about the Broadway thing. I well, he didn't did realize he was so big in Broadway. The Book of Mormon. Oh. Right? Okay. I mean, when, wow. when they say huge, they mean huge, like... This is that's like as big as it gets. Um, pretty big, like beyond. Did you do big. Hamilton? Uh, no. Okay. No. So um, that was some some other asshole. Well, Lin Manuel, who is a really nice guy, um, <laughs> who I Sorry, don't know man. personally because he lives in New York. Um, but yeah, I did a quick scan through a couple of things and like you know what he did, and so Rudin. Um, is one of 16 people in the entire history of the world who has attained an EGOT, which is an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. So he's received right. multiple awards for a number of his projects. He did the Book of Mormon. That's like the Triple Crown of Hollywood. Uh, yep. That is the... Okay. Like, Beyonce doesn't have that. You know? You can well, have as much... she's not a Broadway star. Exactly. So. Okay. Right. So you have to be multi-talented and, and have many facets and many skills Just and super, super duper plugged in and, and involved. Extremely um, rich. Yeah. And he does TV as well. So um, he does one of my favorite shows, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, which oh, is on okay. FX. So he's a lot of involvement with FX and an, uh, another uh, production a company show? called A24. It is. Okay, There's gotcha. The British one and then uh, the American knockoff version. And I think the American knockoff is better than the British one. And that does not happen that often. Where uh, Wow. U.S. Okay. Maybe I'll check it out. Oh, for sure. But schedule like six hours because you're just going to binge. All right. Watch. All right. You're going to hate it. Time, man. I got nothing but time. So you were saying something about A24. Is, what is A24? It's a production company and they do okay. like really high quality. Well, let me rephrase that. In my opinion, my taste level, right, which is superb and sophisticated. Of course. Right. The best. They do amazing, amazing uh, shows. Like, when I see A24, I watch. Okay. Right. I, I never heard of them, but I'll, yeah. I'll be on the lookout for Remember, them. I'll probably see it uh, everywhere now. Miramax, whenever you'd be watching a movie yeah. and you would see Miramax, you'd be like, oh, I don't yeah. know what this is about, but it's at least going to be good. Sure, right. sure. A24 does the same thing for me. I have no idea okay. what this program is, but... Yeah. But I'll watch it. So, yeah. Right. So, this guy has um, has his fingers everywhere in Hollywood. Hi, I Ew, did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, he's a powerful producer. He's probably not just a producer, but whatever else you could be in Hollywood and on Broadway. So, he, um, according to a number of articles that I read, not just one article, um, not just the Hollywood Reporter article, but um, according to everything I've read, he has done things like smash an Apple monitor on an assistant's hand. Um, and, yeah, and, and he called and, his attorney 
immediately after that. Immediately after, which shows presence of mind, I think you can say. Um, he, he knew he'd fucked a, it up. Well, he knew he'd fucked up. Yes. Um, and the, uh, what else has he done? So let's see. Do I want to talk about what else he's done or do I want to talk about? That's fine. Um, he, though the article went on to describe four decades of abusive behavior by Scott Rudin. And apparently none of this was a secret in Hollywood. In 2010, the Hollywood Reporter had called him the most feared man in Hollywood. And the Wall Street Journal had quoted him back in 2005 as saying he'd gone through 119 assistants in the previous five years, which is, it's even like for me, a lot of assistants. Two assistants a month. That's, how do you get anything done? You're like constantly training your assistant, or I are you? you? Train your assistant, right? You're just you're just screaming and throwing things at them. So he threw a laptop at a window. He threw a glass bowl at a coworker. He threw a teacup against the wall. He threw a stapler at an assistant. He threw a baked potato at an assistant's head. He threw a plateful of chicken salad in an assistant's face. He's kicked someone out of a car on a highway more than once, and was described by a writer as, last but not least, loudly racist. And his behavior has led to one HR manager being taken away from the office in an ambulance, never to return. Because of a panic attack. And that's bad a when panic attack. you HR? cause HR to have a panic attack. Pretty fucking bad, I'll tell you. They've seen it all. They don't have souls. and so They don't have souls. No. <laughs> so they pulled a soul out of the ether to have a panic attack with, just for you. And another staff member has said that Rudin will go so far as to lie about former workers who have made him mad in order to destroy their careers. And he'll do things like take away credits on IMDb or give credits as um, incentives. So the person who had a monitor smashed on their hand supposedly got three associate producing credits and a financial settlement. Oh, hell yeah, they did. I mean, hi, that guy mangled that kid's, and I say kid on purpose because, right? You, you know, it's not forty-year-olds who are taking 25. those jobs. Of course, you've yeah. got you're working 10, yeah. 12, 16 hours a day. Um, there was one woman who started. Well, I'll say started. She was an assistant, and she had uh, type one diabetes. So, right, born with right. it, right? And she needed right. thirty minutes a day to exercise and take her insulin injection and they agreed after she showed she had to show proof that she had diabetes yeah right right and then uh they agreed she'd have from 5 30 to 6 a.m on her own to take care of her health right and beyond that you're on call i mean these 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 kids these assistants they worked from like five in the morning to at least eight at night so that's why she needed a doctor's note to take exercise between five thirty and six because she was supposed to be at work, according to you know. Available her boss. for calls, yeah. Right, right. So, um, so that's terrible. And and she um, and and he yelled at her. Even eventually, he stopped letting her do that, and um, tried to get her to to stop doing it. I think she eventually quit. I'm not sure. I. I think yeah, I don't remember the end of that story, but it wasn't good. Well, and you know, the drag with the end of these stories with the assistants is that you don't yeah. quit Scott Rudin. Scott right. Rudin quits you, right? Right. So, uh, and dramatically, uh, in the worst possible way. So, if you leave, he would, um, I was going to say besmirch. And that would be an appropriate use of the word, but it's also a dumb word. He'd (laughs) smear your reputation. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'd make it so you couldn't get a job anywhere. 
he he called somebody somebody who left him uh he called their new boss and said that she'd stolen from them and all kinds of stuff i mean he'd just make up out of thin air right yeah of whole cloth just 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 up just to because he was pissed off well but you know i mean at the same time he'd been getting away with it like tons and tons of people mostly men right um, and particularly in industries where the competition is fierce and everybody wants to work in it, right? So, like fashion, a- you would think, like, yeah. oh, everyone's so creative and friendly. Like, the Anna bitches Winter. will sew your mouth shut. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, and and the tantrums. entertainment industry. Oh no! I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just it is cutthroat. Yeah. Absolutely. So Rudin's tantrums are supposed to have inspired the 1994 movie Swimming with Sharks, which I watched like the first half hour or 45 minutes of. Have you heard of this movie? I've heard of it. And um, even when it was out, like I didn't. And people were like, oh, what a good movie. I didn't care. Well, what's his name? Kevin. I keep wanting to call him him Sissy Spacek. Kevin Spacey was in this movie. Oh, I was going to tell you it's Kevin Spacek. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i was so good to correct you so fast <laughs> juliet i'm from hollywood i know these things it was not Sissy's basic <laughs> she's she's quality um he was in this movie and um i forget what i was gonna say oh kevin spacey i know but i forget what i was gonna say about kevin spacey he was in this movie and something but i have no idea what i was gonna say but i saw the movie and and it was it was eh, it was okay you know it was exactly what you would expect it was kevin kevin so there's this young guy who wants to be famous in hollywood he gets a job with kevin spacey who's this famous producer kevin spacey screams at him yells at him throws things at him all that kind of stuff and the guy later goes and and kidnaps kevin spacey and starts torturing him at which point i stopped watching well okay so number one i was gonna say um it feels very devil wears prada meets nine to five right right kidnapping the boss devil wears prada i think this came out in 94 yeah 94 so it was before devil wears prada but very nine to five but but much more gory and it was supposed to be a comedy but i didn't think anything was funny it just was too true to life for me um so the uh, max hoffman who worked as an assistant at scott rudin productions in 2020 said the abuse goes way beyond the physical every single person who comes out of that office is psychologically damaged and this is true um one former assistant's brother claims that his twin brother's suicide was partly caused by scott rudin's abuse he said of rudin you berated and demeaned bullied and harassed him for eight solid months It was so intense that he developed anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress. And like many survivors of traumatic abuse, he soon found himself in another abusive relationship later on in his life. It was so intense that last October he took his own life. And to be honest, it's probably not the only suicide that can be traced back to this kind of abuse. So this industry, according to stories I read online, because I know nothing about any of it, (laughs) is full of abusive people. I was going to say, stories I read online, 100% true. Absolutely. I believe them 100%. Um, So directors, choreographers, active business executives, they've all been accused of psychological or physical abuse. Um, And it's an overall atmosphere of of stress, abuse, and and, uh, I don't know what an end would be. Um, Terrible places to work. Just just the awfulness. It's soul-crushing, destroying. It's... It, I mean, there's nothing good about it. It never appealed to me. And anytime anybody would ask me to star in a film, I would just have to tell them I can't because you guys really? are evil. Yeah, You turned down so many, I remember. So many, constant, yeah. I had a friend who yeah. was um, 
an aspiring screenwriter and had and uh-huh. filmmaker and had made one film, um, homemade film. But this was like sure. in the '90s when that was something, right? You didn't just whip out your camera and film something. You had to have a crew and Equipment. sound boom, yeah. and, right? And you had, but I mean, whatever, right? Um, so he was he was living the dream, working towards it, and he'd written a script that he took to Disney. Um, and I forget how he got into Disney, except it had something to do with calling a bunch of studios and requesting yeah. appointments and then wow. calling the studios back and changing the dates around because I have an appointment already with, um, I'll make stuff up here. I have an appointment with FX. Yeah. So while I had said I could meet this week to talk about my project, I actually have to push it back to next week, right? It's making it seem like other studios were talking to him. Right? It was a really oh, clever idea. Like the secretary's care. It's a what? I said like the secretary's care. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but he, he got in and uh, he showed the script to them. And they. Um, it's always a little hedgy taking scripts from unknown writers because sure. then they claim you stole their work. And that's exactly what happened to my friend. Um, this happened before I knew him, right? But, uh, he told me that all dogs go to heaven, that Disney film was based on a script that he took to Disney studios. And, you know, I mean, on one hand, grain of salt, whenever anybody in LA tells you anything. I bet it happens all the time though. But I, I, he had no reason to lie or try to impress me. You know, the fuck am I? Um, and uh, he said he spent three months just in utter um, desolation, utter depression oh. in his home. Couldn't leave. Poor guy. Yeah. Because uh, he had no way to, no yeah, way to what prove. Are you do? Right. No. And so, and, the, and you know, I'll say a little bit of a benefit of the doubt here to Disney and my friend, right? Yeah. Let's just say they had another project in the works and, and whatever, right? But um, if that happened, Whoever made the decision to steal the idea had no problem sleeping and probably went on to a great career. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it seems to me. It's from all these articles I read and the movie I saw. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's hard. Okay, so here I'm going to be a Scott Rudin apologist, right? Uh-oh. It's a pressure cooker. It is hard to take people's money, right? When somebody's giving you like a million bucks to make sure. a film, right? Sure. And you want to you want to make this film and you want to be true to art and all that, but at the same time you gotta make the money and then you've gotta yeah. give a return because if you don't, you don't get money in the future. And really yes. your job is all about getting using other people's money to produce things. Right? Well, that's what every job is about. Um, I guess so. That's sort of weird. <laughs> now that you've mentioned that. <laughs> anyway go on okay but so that's a that's an inordinate amount of pressure for somebody to live with right because if you have a flop then especially if people are screaming at you at the same time well people are you know if you're a producer people are asking you when's it going to get done when am i going to get my money right and you can be responsible for 50 million dollars worth of somebody's money i don't know anybody would stick that much money into a single movie but yeah, so the so the pressure is real. The need to succeed is real. Yep. 
Um, yeah. And you're dealing with fragile. Everybody's got a fragile ego. Ego. Everybody needs a hug. I need a hug. You know, but at the same time, everybody's the most important person in the world. And yes. you might say, like, how can you have a fragile ego and be the most important person in the world? Well, I am talking to you right <laughs> now as that person. It's very easy That's to do. Funny. Of you, I forgot, to ask, <laughs> I forgot to ask how your week has been. Well, dang I, it. I can't believe um, we forgot to do that in the beginning of the podcast. I, the, yikes, yikes, my bad. Well, how are you? We'll just say this I, this was a nice way to trick people into listening to stories about us. <laughs> let's start the podcast and then we'll have I mean, our chat at the, in the middle. Um, I got nothing. This is the important part. Everything's fine. Um, what? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, honestly. Um, it would be such a left turn from, oh, I know what. this. Everybody, relax, because we are going to keep on doing the show as we are doing, but I am going to throw something in here that is completely like, why are you talking about this? Because it's about me, but it's also going to be about Scott Rudin. So, okay. um, our apology today, here we are, hi, this far into the show, <laughs> is... Not that Scott Rudin said sorry, but that Michael Shabon, who worked with Scott Rudin, apologized for enabling yes. Scott Rudin, right? Yeah. Michael Shabon is uh, an acclaimed author, uh, Pulitzer yes. Prize he wrote winner. The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, or whatever that's called. And that book that he the wrote. Mysteries of Pittsburgh, if you're me, that's like the big, big, like, ooh, I know who that is, right? I've, I haven't read that. What's it about? I haven't read it. Well, it's a mystery that happens in Pittsburgh. Is it about vampires? No, but there's some gay stuff in it. And it happened. <laughs> okay. It was published in the Sorry. 80s. And yeah. that was groundbreaking at the time. Um, and He's been around that long, huh? Oh, he's been around that long. Um, wow. And, uh, but so before we get on to that, right? Because this is the thing I have to tell you. Um, yes, everybody, you can you. skip ahead a minute. No, um, cannot. So they will. They've got buttons. <laughs> No, okay. So speaking of um, writers and Hollywood and art and money and, you know, that weird balance, that pressure cooker when you add all those things together, right? Um, uh-huh. Octavia Butler, one of our favorite writers, has yes. several works that are coming to the screen. And I had Ooh. no idea. I knew that, like, Dawn, um, the Genesis Ooh. series, was had been optioned by Hulu. Um, uh-huh. God, like in 2017, maybe even 2015. God, why, why haven't people done Octavia Butler movies before? Really? Um, I don't know. What? I don't know why. But Kindred is coming to FX, and that's a very cool production uh, company that Scott Rudin um, worked with. And Scott Rudin oh. may have a finger in Kindred. Oh, Theo, stop. <laughs> Okay. I will. Um, but yeah, fledgling is has been optioned by, I think it was HBO Max. Um, nice. Uh, is she still alive? She's not, is she? No, unfortunately, she died a um, oh. a good number of years ago. Maybe maybe ten years ago. Um, Parable of Sour is sour sour is coming to. Sour. Well, it's in development, and it's been acquired by A24, which is another production company that Scott Rudin worked with on a number of projects. Um, So, so yeah, like, 
that's my week. I discovered this, and I'll share that with you now. That's very exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing those films or those whatever's. Yeah, me too. The one thing that we know for sure is that Scott Rudin's name will not be associated with any of these pictures now. I see. uh, Right. Since he apologized. Well, he's he's sort of problematic. He's kind of Hollywood poison at the moment, right? And is he in a different way from Harvey Weinstein? Um, you know, Harvey. Let's call him Harv, right? I mean, Harv. serial rapist, sexual oh. assault, facing jail time. Our friend Scott basically just has an explosive temper and anger management issues and is the asshole supreme, but no surprise there, given that kind of, I don't want to say it's how you succeed in Hollywood, but the exceptions are the nice people, you know, the exceptions are the Meryl Streep's. Okay. Right. The rule is everyone's a dick and everyone is out to get you. Get out of my way, move it. So, Rudin, I know he apologized. He said he was profoundly sorry for the pain his behavior caused to individuals. And he said that um, he was going to step back from active participation on Broadway productions. So that's all he said, though. And and I don't know if he actually stepped back from anything or not. Um, He said that Broadway was returning and he didn't want to get in the way of Broadway reopening by, I guess, stopping any work that he was doing. So while he was sorry, he wasn't going to really do a whole lot differently. But I guess you're saying that... um, People may be distancing themselves from him now. Um, I understand that uh, Karen Olivo, or Karen Olivo, I don't know how she pronounces her last name, uh, is a star of Moulin Rouge, which um, is on Broadway now, apparently very popular. And she announced that she would not return to the production of Moulin Rouge, even though it had nothing to do with Rudin. But she said that, that she was making this protest due to the Broadway establishment's unwillingness to condemn Rudin. So he has not been canceled, but he may be a little bit of... Um, someone people don't want to work with too much right now. Um, and you mentioned Michael Shabon. I did, yes, because he's... You did. He's our apology guy this week. He's our apology guy this week. So he um, is described... We talked about him a little bit, but Vanity Fair calls him the Pulitzer Prize-winning author, screenwriter, and Star Trek Picard showrunner. Now, what the fuck is a showrunner, Theo? Do you know? A showrunner is a producer. However, that producer credit... Um, Mm, maybe I'll say for sure in the 70s, it just started mm-hmm. to get handed out liberal, liberally. Hello. Yeah. And uh, so you would eventually just have like the director's girlfriend had a producing credit on the movie, sure. right? Because one day she handed sure. a cup of coffee to the lead actor, right? Okay. So it started to mean nothing. And it, it okay. became this thing of like, well, who the fuck's in charge? So a showrunner is... And I meant to Google, like, why do they call it showrunner? Because I know the industry has adopted that term. These are they run the what show. I might have known as executive producers, right? Okay. They they But, you know, a producer does more than, I mean, their ultimate job is really just getting money to make the thing happen. That's what I thought the producer did, was basically hand over the cash. But so much more than that. They are administrative assistants. I mean, they, they get the money, right? Yeah. But then they also make sure that things happen. And so the producer is the person who, oh, my God, we can't get a filming permit to film Uh, naked people running through Central Park. And that becomes the producer's problem to make happen when his team can't make the thing happen that needs to happen. Um, Okay. And so it's it's a very demanding job and it's a very stressful job. 
And so how does the showrunner fit into this? Well, showrunner's producer. It's just now we're now okay. we are called. No, I, yeah. We, now they are called. Hi, that's a pronoun. Um, now they're just called show. No, they're not just called showrunners. Now they are called showrunners. So you have producers and producers are the people who, hey, I help push a button at the elevator. So give me a credit. <laughs> um, I mean, oh God, that bullshit just drives me crazy. About this. Uh, but. Well, yeah, probably. If I'm mangling this, everybody, you know, hey, not my fault, yours. But so, yeah, so a showrunner is really what you and I would think of as a producer, but somebody somewhere needed to be the person ultimately in charge, and it just got, producer okay. started to mean nothing. So Michael Chabon, who's this literary writer, somehow got into Star Trek Picard, which I guess is a Star Trek franchise. I don't know anything about any of this. But now uh, he's been a writer. He started out as a writer and now he's like producing uh, Star Trek. Well, okay, so this is a recent thing for uh, Michael Chabon. Uh, He definitely started off as a writer and come with me on a journey to his past. Let me <laughs> let me take you back to a gentler, simpler time in the 1980s when a tender me was working in a bookstore and a book came out called Mysteries of Pittsburgh. And cool. everybody was really excited about it and everybody wanted to read it. And there was a lot of like, oh, and there's a gay thing in there, too. And <laughs> Michael Shabon was uh, incorrectly identified as a gay writer by Newsweek. Oh. And uh, he has said... I'm actually kind of glad that happened because it brought me a readership I might not have had. And that readership, oh. the gay queer leader readership, leadership, hi, leadership and readership, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, has remained loyal to him, right? Um, mm. He writes about Jewish characters. He writes about gay characters. He writes about the disenfranchised, um, but at the same time, uh, strong elements of fatherhood appear in his work, right? Um, and... So he came out in 1988. Uh, sorry, he didn't come out. His book came out. He is, right. he is heterosexual. Yes. Um, his book came out in 1988 when he was 25. His book, wow. Mysteries of Pittsburgh, was really his thesis for his MFA. And so his professor, a guy named Donald Heine, and I'm not going to be a third grader and laugh at that last name. I'm sure that poor guy has burnt, but Heine, really? Um <laughs> He uh, had a pen name, McDonald Harris, much better name. And this professor, Professor Heine, <laughs> I'm sorry. McDonald Harris? McDonald Harris was his pen name. Oh, my God. Donald Heine, Professor Donald Heine. Um, okay. Just get okay. past his name, right? It's so bad. Okay. I know. I'm a third grader. Moving this on. is bad um, and stupid, right? But so, Professor Donald, <laughs> there we go, sent Shabon's thesis entitled uh-huh. The Mysteries of Pittsburgh, to his own literary agent. So uh, oh. so Donald was a published author, and uh-huh. one of his students in a master's program wrote this thesis, and the professor read it and was like, damn, this is good. I need to get this out to the world. I'm going to call nice. my agent. And, and he didn't tell Shabon that he was doing that. And so okay. Shabon is suddenly surprised by an offer of $155,000 from a publisher nice. to publish his work. Surprise. That's great. And um, that all happened at a time when in the hmm, late 80s, particularly late 80s, early 90s, in the publishing industry, we had this sort of wonderkin writers moment. 
Uh, they were also called the Literary Brat Pack. And I'm going to give yeah. you some titles and some names, and you're going to be like, oh, totally right. So Bright Lights, sure. Big City by Jay McInerney. Sure. Less Than Zero, Brett Easton Ellis. How about yeah. Slaves of New York and Tama Janowitz? Oh, yay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? And then my favorite, Donna Tart, um, The Secret History. Um, I fucking hate Donna Tart. Oh, I love Donna Tart. She's, she's so nice. She makes the she's best nice. bread. No, okay, I don't know anything that. about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she may be a lovely individual. Um, yeah, okay, we'll have to talk about that off air because I'm curious. But um, yeah, and so We're most of fight. these people, I mean, sure, Jay McInerney and Brady Stanellis went on, had a couple more um, pieces published. Tama Genowitz is now a professor of literature at Cornell. Good for her, right? But I mean, for Good a while for there, she was the it girl in the publishing world. Like, she yeah. was in in liquor ads and she, anywhere, right? And uh, yeah. she basically life. said at the time, um, ah, okay, here we go. Uh, she was accused of over-marketing herself and she laughed and said that she was basically uh, treating her brand like a brand of toothpaste. I would do any publicity that came my way. I just see it as a chance to sell the book, she says. Um, so oh, good for her for that. Okay. Shabon went yeah. a, a very different route. So Mysteries of Pittsburgh comes out. He's this literary genius, you know, lightning strikes. And uh, then he starts working on his next book, which he doesn't finish, even though he's been given an advance and considerable money um, for a writer, right? So he got $155,000 for his first book. Most writers yeah. got about $7,500 at the time, right? Wow. So he's getting more than almost 20 times the normal. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's math I did in my head. Um, wow. Impressive. I know. Th- thank you for listening to the podcast. We're now done. I proved I could do math. <laughs> um. All right, cool. So, so, so his uh, his his advance for his second novel. Oh yeah, so his advance for his second novel. Thank you for keeping me on track. Uh, he couldn't yeah. finish it. It was it was over a thousand pages. He sent six hundred of them to his editor. The editor didn't yeah. like them. And this is several uh, years after his first book. And so he's starting to sweat bullets. And it, while all this is happening, he'd been married to another writer, and um, she wasn't as popular as he was and so his commercial success got in the way and they got divorced and all this is happening and then one day he just sits down and decides to write something different and he writes his second book wonder boys in 1995 which goes off and does uh pretty well well. i mean it was critically acclaimed it wasn't commercially uh a, a success but it also wasn't a failure right yeah. And then yeah. Um, five years after that, he writes The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, and he wins a Pulitzer Prize in 2001. And then in 07, he does The Yiddish Policeman's Ball, and that wins a Hugo right. and Nebula Award, right? Which, right. if you're not into sci-fi, those are like the Emmys and Oscars of sci-fi. Big. And then, um, Did you read any of his books? No, and I tried The Mystery of Pittsburgh's... Mystery of Pittsburgh's, plural, yes. No, singular. Um I tried, but it just, it didn't grab me. And I read Cavalier and Clay and I don't remember a thing about it. Well, one of the so, Pulitzer Prize. I know. Um, I read Donna Tartt's uh, Goldfinch, which also won a Pulitzer Prize. And that was, I think that was only her second book 
too. She wrote like the secret history know. and then never anything else. And then, oh no, she wrote one other thing in between the two. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and I, I read part of that and then the goldfinch came out and I read that. <laughs> and I remember the that. Worst. I remember it too. I didn't read the goldfinch. I read the first two that she wrote and I hated them both. But anyway, anyway, oh, I've read the secret history like four Donna's times. Heart. No, it's her show now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna prove you she wrong. She apologized for anything. She needs to apologize for writing shitty novels. <laughs> no, the secret history is so good. Um, all right, let's see. And then, um, right, and so Shabon's work was optioned by Scott Rudin. Here's how these two guys tie in together, everybody. Right. So you've got Shabon. He's this writer. He's like doing it. It's the real thing. He's supporting himself through his work. Uh, he's winning awards. He's getting notice. And that's awesome. Yeah. And his yeah. work is being optioned by Scott Rudin, who has right. the reputation in Hollywood of optioning loads and loads of work, tying up um, theaters, right? Uh. Like buying out the lease for the year yeah. and making it impossible for other people to um, get to things. Produce any work. Wow. Right. Um, he's he's that big. He's got all that money. Right. Wow. And Shabon was happy enough. He'd heard some of the stories about how awful Scott Rudin was. And he saw the parade of assistants coming and going. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're making your money. You're you're getting paid. Great. Well, he says um, he wrote an article in Medium, which I think is just like some place you can blog, right? It's not a it's not a magazine or anything. It's just this place where you can go and post your thoughts. I don't know enough about it to be honest with you, but when I see that something's on Medium, I will yeah. I'll read it. I'll be like, oh, oh okay, really? yeah, for sure. Um, oh, I always assume that it's just some place that anybody can go and post. Medium, Vox. I don't know. We'll have to look at that. Uh, the Daily Beast. Those are like I consider, I don't want to say trashy, but I'll just say like, yeah. you know, sort of throwaway things. But at the same time, it's like the information in here is going to be valid and I, it's a good place to start. Oh. And then I can research okay. on my own and find out how true it is. I could be wrong. Um, but he says in. Well, in you're his wrong about Donna Tart, so you could be wrong about oh, this too. I certainly am not. <laughs> so he says in Medium, Michael Sabon, that um, while he never saw the abuse to the extent that was reported online, he quote unquote knew enough, which doesn't speak very well for him, in my opinion. He has said that he has seen his staff, um, he has seen Rudin treat his staff terribly, and he's seen Rudin throw a pencil at an assistant, which he says he only saw because Rudin didn't think he was there. Um, and when these things happen, Rudin would abuse or mistreat his staff, and then Shabon and Rudin would go on together about their business as if nothing had happened. And now he says he's ashamed and sorry. And and why is he sorry? He's sorry because Rudin started demeaning and shit-talking his wife. So Ayla Waldman, mm -hmm. who I have nothing to say about, um, is Michael Shabon's wife. Okay. And... He said some stuff about her, and now Shabon is starting to get pissed off. So he knew basically what was going on for 20 years and basically didn't care until Rudin started turning it onto his own property, so to speak. Well, he did the thing that Ted Cruz did not, and that is when somebody shit-talks your wife, you say, hey, enough, I might let you shit-talk other people, but not someone I know. To me, that's not particularly... Um, 
exculpatory, I guess. I mean, you should you should speak up for everyone, not just your fucking wife. That's my opinion. I think, you know, if, if, if I saw somebody shit talking, throwing a pencil at their assistant, I'd be like, hey, dude, what the fuck? Well, I mean, totally, right? Of course, there is right. there is that. I mean, we'll say that um, what I read, um, yeah, written by Donna Tartt, I'm not going to drop that. <laughs> <laughs> fuck Donna Tartt. Um, was that, Shaman had heard these things and he had once seen uh, Rudin throw something, but he he was sitting outside of Rudin's office waiting to go in right. to meet. Right. And it, right. And it sort of happened around him. And the right. assistant went on about his day. And so I can totally see. I mean, if it was me. Right. I, of course, would have the perfect response, which would. Of course. Of course. Right. And would do the perfect yes. thing. And you would confront the powerful producer, Scott Rudin. Would take him down immediately. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> and Scott would be very Dare sorry. Dare you throw a pencil. Do you know how expensive they are? Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So so he didn't. And, and should he have? Yes. But then, of course, that's what his apology is about. Right. Exactly. So do you... Um, well, actually, his apology is 1,500 words long. Yeah. It, it, it is rather long um i did go through it obviously i read it of course right um yeah and i found what i felt to be the most salient part the most important point um and so i've got a paragraph okay if if you don't want to have to deal all 1500 um certainly not okay well good i can tell that we're on different ends of our apology spectrum <laughs> with this. And I can't wait to, okay. s- to um, justify my position <laughs> and then okay. take you down. Ready? Yeah, sure. Good luck. <laughs> okay, good luck. Tart lover. <laughs> hey, there's nothing. No, huh? that would be a great. I will do it anyway. Yes. There's nothing wrong with a good tart. Thank you, everyone. Okay. So uh, Shabon writes a, a long apology that uh, that he posts online, and uh, this was the the paragraph that I felt really just summed it all up. So it's not enough to draw a line, however belatedly. You also have to point to it. You have to call people's attention to it and explain why it's there, why you drew it. That's another thing I did not have the courage or, to be completely honest, the inspiration or the vision to do. It just did not even occur to me. Like so many, but thank God, not all of us, I left that feat of public bravery for other, less privileged people to enact. I'm grateful to them, and I hope, but have no right to expect, that they'll forgive me for my passivity and participation in the interlocking systems of dysfunction, bias, and abuse that make, enable, reward, and worst of all, glorify the behavior for which, thanks to their courage, Scott Rudin is now being called to account. Sounds good. Yeah. Well said, Michael Shabon. Yeah. It's almost well, like you're a writer. It's like you're a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to. All right. So. Yes. I was prepared to hate Michael Shabon, right? Because yeah. I had in my head before when you were like, hey, this guy apologized. Let's do him. I had in my head that, like, he did something really horrible and that I was supposed to hate him. And oh, okay. I couldn't figure out what it, I couldn't remember what it was, right? Like, right. why were we boycotting him or what did he say or do, right? And it was a while sure. back. It was just that little, little thing in the back yeah. of my mind that was like, 
you're not supposed to do read his stuff or like him. And so I did a lot of Googling on Michael Chabon looking for like problematic issues, yeah. blah, blah. And I couldn't find a thing. The The deeper I dug, the harder yeah. I fell in love with him and his stu- oh my gosh. family. Really? Yeah. He took his 13-year-old son to Paris Fashion Week uh, for his son's birthday, right? And then he wrote... I'm rolling my eyes. Well, okay, but I mean, hey. <laughs> and uh, and he wrote an article for GQ that went uh, viral, and he said that um, while he's had many... Uh, while he's received a lot of notice for his work, this one piece received uh-huh. more attention and astounded him, uh, not only in terms of number, but the speed with which uh, it spread, right? So... It was a rather clunky way to say, like, he he was surprised by how well-received this piece was. And I'm going to read the last paragraph to you. Right? Okay. So the article uh, starts off with his kid, his 13-year-old son, who's totally into fashion and uh, wants to be a, uh, a fashion designer, right? And uh, Shabon arranged to do some backstage intros with some fashion designers during Paris Fashion Week, and then also go with his son and attend the things, right? And he's not into fashion himself. It was completely boring for him, and um, but he was thrilled to be there for his son. And the thing about his son is his son is always late. His son is late for okay. everything, right? And Shabon points out that you can't make a grand entrance if you show up on time. It's only when you're uh, late, right? So okay. that's important. So the end of this piece makes sense. Okay, so reading is Shabon. Um, You were born into a family, and those are your people. And they know you, and they love you. And if you were lucky, they even, on occasion, managed to understand you. And that ought to be enough. But it is never enough. Abe had, Abe is his son, Abe had not been dressing up, styling himself for all these years because he was trying to prove how different he was from everyone else. He did it in hope of attracting the attention of somebody else, somewhere, someday, who was the same. He was not flying his freak flag. He was sending up a flare, hoping for rescue, for company in the solitude of his passion. You were with your people. You found them, I said. He nodded. That's good, I said. You're early. I mean... That's nice. It's gorgeous. Oh, my That's God. That's nicely written. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's too bad it's about the fashion industry. I hear the backhanded compliment there. Well, that well. was nicely written. <laughs> Lacking in sincerity and integrity. I mean, no, it was sincere. It was sincere and it was sweet. And it's nice that uh, his son has somebody who understands him. Yes. There you go. Okay, cool. I like that. Um and then, um, while I was like hunting furiously for, okay, why do I hate Michael Shabon? Why am I supposed to, what, what's his problem? What's his deal, right? Um, the only thing I could come up with, and this this wasn't anything I found. This was me just like desperately grabbing one thing and connecting it to some other thing in my head, right? So he wrote this book called um, Telegraph Avenue, which is about race, uh, sorry, and the book's about race, right? And I don't know enough okay. about um, Northern California and Berkeley to really understand uh-huh. the relevance of Telegraph Avenue, but apparently um, it 
starts off in the very trendy hip, um, rich hippie part, Berkeley, yeah, and then moves into the more socially disadvantaged part of town and, and changes yeah, it goes name. To Oakland. Okay, cool. So, um, so whatever within all of that, and he was writing from the point of view of an African American character, and I was like. Okay, maybe that's because it's a white guy writing about race and uh, right? And so he was asked about, okay, you're writing this book and it's about a black character and you're writing as the black character. Um, isn't that cultural appropriation? And so uh, Shaman said, all I have is my imagination and my capacity for sympathy and empathy, he said. It wasn't any easier for me to write the Jewish grandfather than it was to write Gwen, a black character, or any harder. Even when you're writing a character who's heavily autobiographical or close to you, it just feels the same to me. It doesn't feel any different. It's just as hard or it's just as easy. And that got me thinking like loads and loads of writers, you have men writing from women's point of view, you have women writing from men's point of view, you have straight people writing gay characters, you have gay people writing straight characters, young people writing old, old people writing young, all different races. And so writers just essentially use their imagination to process the world around them in order to understand it. And then maybe, you know, to build an argument for why their own viewpoint is correct. But either way, it's all part of processing reality or understanding the world. And I'm going to say, and it's, I'm surprised to be saying this, but that's starting to feel okay with me. I think prior to having looked at Shabon, if someone had come up and said, should a white person write as a black person? I would have said, no. Oh my God, no. No, I mean, of course, it, it's all a matter of intent and how things are done, right? Right. Uh, so there's probably, I'm sure there's plenty of works I could point to and say, no, you shouldn't have done that. Um, but in this instance, it was... It was thoughtful. And that was kind of the big thing that I pulled away from this Shabon um, episode with, which is he's just a very thoughtful person who continued to work with somebody who demeaned and belittled and bullied <laughs> people. So how thoughtful is he really? <laughs> and I think, so I come from the opposite perspective. I knew um, it. <laughs> as you do, especially about the part about writing as as um, who you are or who you are not. And it used to be, I used to think that it was fine that men wrote as women and that people wrote as whatever they weren't. And that it was just, it was just people using their imagination and, uh, you know, using um, their imagination to process reality, as you said. But the older I get, the more I think that doing stuff like that just gives you a, a lot of opportunities to get stuff wrong. And I think True. that um, Michael Shabon, I didn't read Telegraph Avenue. I don't even know about it. But um, I think that, and this is easy to say, um, maybe whatever he was trying to get across would have been better expressed by somebody who actually had lived the experiences of the people he was writing about. Um, I, and I think that it's really difficult and really um, challenging to try and act as if you have the experiences that you simply don't have. Like if I were to say, um, 
I'm a black person or whatever. I'm going to write this story as a black person. I mean, you should, you should just fucking laugh in my face because I have absolutely no idea what it's like to live as a black person, not even the beginning of a clue. And I can imagine it all fucking day long, but my imagination would be based on the lived experiences of a white woman and therefore would be incorrect. So, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter how close you are to the life of somebody who's different from you, you never have those experiences and you can never speak authoritatively as that type of person. So I think that um, we're, we're, we're on opposing ends, although I see your point of view. I'm going to respectfully disagree. And I'm also going to say, oh, I like that. You're respectful. <laughs> for once and that's I'm all i heard that michael shabon is an asshole so that's my respectful <laughs> all i heard was that you respect me <laughs> of course i respect you <laughs> we have a podcast together what 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 other uh, respect indicator of respect could there be that could be more powerful than that nothing marriage absolutely <laughs> well you're already married so am i so. as are you right <laughs> to people we respect more than ourselves <laughs> um yeah okay so i i hear you on that point and i don't want us to get too lost in these weeds because it's an argument that i would lose eventually because i can never stand <laughs> against the sheer force of your determination and intellect <laughs> and your reasoning, your ability to argue. That's However, funny. all of that said, um, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, um, I think it's okay. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, there is that thing. Let's take it back to Hollywood. There is that thing where it's yeah. like, Oh, you hired a, a cisgendered person to play a transgendered character or, Oh, you hired a straight right. actor to play a gay character and you should have hired a right. gay character. Right. And I understand the importance of offering opportunities to people who don't typically get opportunity. And so I'm right. not saying, oh, close the door on opportunity. But this question of right or wrong, like, gay people play straight characters. And so it's got to be okay for a gay person to play a straight well, person. Well, that's a little bit different. Because that's like saying, um, well, we could really get in the weeds on this one. But um, if, if, you're, if you're a marginalized something... Uh-huh. In some way, if you're not a white man, basically a straight white man, uh-huh. a straight cis white man, um, you're you're probably marginalized in some way. But um, you understand very well the life experiences of a straight cis white man because that's all that's shoved in your face all day long. So you could probably play a character that is a straight cis white man because you know what that life is like. It's all you've ever seen on television and in movies and commercials. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So you're much more experienced with that than a straight cis white man is with a black woman, for example. Sure. So, so I think that's a little bit nuanced. Um, but but my 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 main feeling about playing a character that you're not um, is that some authenticity will be lacking. And then you could say, well, what about um, she's this woman is playing a bookseller in her latest movie, and she's never sold books in her life. How could she be authentic? Well, you know, there's degrees. That's all I'll say. I, I mean, I agree with you. There are degrees, right? Yeah. Um, and, and which makes it complicated, which makes it really hard to argue. So no one's ever going to win this argument. Except me. Just now. Except you. I accept Go your ahead. defeat and, and that you respect me. All right. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, this uh, a conversation that requires more thought at a different time and also not the point of today's episode. Although, weirdly, yeah, which maybe is let's try and force that to happen. So, okay. so Michael Shabon, who 
I think like, hi, Michael, if you're adopting, I am such a good person and I <laughs> would make an excellent son. Um, wow. <laughs> I want to go to Paris. I don't want to go to Fashion Week, but you know, I'll go to Paris with you. And uh, yeah. So how how does this good person, who I think of as a really good person, um, and I was trying, I was prepared to hate. I was looking for reasons to justify the weird feeling I had about me. Eh, creepy. Um, you know, how do you reconcile that with, well, I mean, 20 years, 20 years of working with a known abuser. Um, right. And seeing you know. it, really seeing it. I mean, not the worst of it for sure, but being aware right. of it, I think. And that's kind of like those two things that don't go together in the same way that our conversation about like um, gay people playing straight characters are all. No, that's kind of right. not, I'm I'm forcing that. That's not working. So, hey, look over there, everybody. Wow. An ice cream truck. <laughs> Let's go. I, I don't think your two parts don't fit together. I think they fit together fine. I think people are self-interested for the most part and, and will do whatever gets them the furthest at any given moment. And that's that's how it, it all fits in together. So uh, that's my, Fair my enough. pessimistic my pessimistic approach to human humanity, which has been strengthened during well, the pandemic. Your, your realistic viewpoint, which is that people are self-interested and... Uh, Michael Chabon was all happy to keep working with Scott Rudin until it went against his self-interest, meeting his yeah. relationship with his wife, right? Yeah. Who I did a little tiny bit of research on, and uh, she's very cool. I like her. Okay. But I also want her to adopt me. So <laughs> am I being sincere? Maybe not. But yeah, I am. I think she's really cool. Um, you know, I'll say this, like... Uh, I'll say this like, no, I will say this full stop, which yes. I'm supposed to stop saying. Um, she's Israeli and he's American Jewish. And they went to uh, Israel and did a tour of um, the West Bank and saw the encroachment oh of God. settlements. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and uh, they, they have uh, very strong views on the importance of respecting Palestinian lives and sovereignty. Statehood. And um, Good. yeah, so um, the Israeli government said they were going to ban Shaman from re-entering the country. And his wife um, sent them a tweet and said, I dare you. Go well, ahead. What's she going to do? Well, I don't What's know. She's going to tweet. I dare you. <laughs> I, I dare you to to ban my husband. I mean, Go ahead. I would consider it a compliment if his, Israel banned me from going there. But uh, what does she mean? I dare you. What does she do? Them? What's going to happen if they do? Oh, I don't know. Maybe she's going to. I'm curious. Be angry and tweet them again. <laughs> I don't know, but she's All cool. Right. I like her. All right. I, I All thought right. that was you know um, a rather bold move because without getting into it. If you mentioned Israel and Palestine in the same sentence, you'd be prepared. I mean, the emails are coming. I know. We haven't even published this episode, and I know the emails are We're coming. We're already getting emails. Yes. Yeah, totally. All right. Um, so back to Rudin, uh, who, who's actually the person that I'm most interested in in this episode, interestingly enough. Michael Shabon, whatever. Um, no, he's so cool. Scott they Rudin. make their own granola. <laughs> I can make my own granola. 
Oh, they have a family recipe. I love them. Oh okay. my God, you're the worst. Um, so Rudin is, is uh, was taking Rudin has taken some time off in his East Hampton and Palm Springs mansions with his two golden retrievers, and is probably going to go back to work doing just what he's always done. I knew it. I could feel the gay. I wasn't sure where it was. <laughs> he's married. Okay. Did you know he was married to a man? No. You know, that's one of the most interesting things about this whole episode is that um, Scott Rudin is gay. And this never came up in any of the articles I read, except finally at the very end when I was doing like research last night or something, I saw something that just happened to casually mention he was married to a man who used to be involved in Hollywood or something. That and, used to be his boss? No, no, they used to be involved in Hollywood. Oh, or I was so excited. I was like, that's how you no, climb a corporate I ladder. Think so. <laughs> and I was so happy to read that because it was like, you know, in the 80s and whatever, when we grew up, it would have been all about how this man was gay and how that was. What a, a horrible you know, person, yeah. Uh, you know, how, how that was controversial and, you know, should gay men, blah, 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 or whatever. Fuck, you know, whatever. But so I was very happy that this was being treated just as a normal fact of life that he was married to a man. So that's made me happy. So Scott Rudin in the end made you happy. No puns intended. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> so let's rate his apology. Um, are we rating Scott Rudin? No, we're rating Michael Shabon. Oh, well, I mean, so, hi. Okay. Uh, Scott <laughs> Rude's apology. Uh, you know what? Sure. Why not? Let's do a two for one. Um, let's okay. go back to Shabon first, because uh, there were a couple of other components to, um, oh, my brain, there's too many names now, to Rudin's apology, right, that I think merit some review. But uh, with the Shabon apology, which was beautifully crafted, heartfelt, Took ownership. Rudin? No. Shabon. Oh, Shabon. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I got kind yeah. of confused too. Total opposite. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> okay. okay. So Shabon wrote that lovely, lovely written apology. Your heartfelt. Um, heartfelt. Authentic. Apparently. Genuine. Um, Allegedly. Where he put himself in a position of vulnerability because look at us now. You know, I want an asshole. He worked for that guy for 20 years. And yeah, you know, I mean, that that is a... That is that part is true, right? Yeah. But I am going to give this apology an eight point seven five. Wow. To a nine point two five. We'll do a sliding scale. Wow. Yeah. That's very precise. I. I mean, well, it's not very precise, but it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's math, Juliet. You wouldn't understand it. Um, I it's hard Shabon. mental things I do. Yeah, uh, I give Michael Shabon a two. No! Because I don't think, yes, I give him a two. I don't think he's sincere. I think it only he only apologized when it became obvious that he had been associated for 20 years with a man who was an abuser and that he knew about it the whole time. So I think uh, his apology was self-serving, just like everything else he's ever done in his life. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the granola? Uh, I don't think that he likes granola, so he made himself some. What's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's my rating at two. So um, yeah, we we average it out to around a, a three or something. I don't know how that math. Oh works. no, I'll work that math out for you. That comes out to a twelve. <laughs> Your score gets added to mine. Oh, okay. Twelve point two five to a. 
third to the highest score we've ever given. Actually, he only he only gets two points because it was so well written. Okay, so if I if I'm going to give him an eight point seven five, and you're going to give him a two, it's six point seven five. So that's better than average. I don't think that's how it averages out. Well, do we need to subtract the? No, wait. Oh no! <laughs> you add them together and then divide them by the total. Oh so, no! I just subtracted like them because it worked in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we disagree. I think is the point here. And well, that's so that comes down to just slightly less than average. Um, yeah, it's less than average. Yeah. But, I mean, you did admit that you didn't like Donna Tart and that you were wrong about I that. I don't like Donna Tart. So... I never said I was wrong about that. <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> I, I, I might reread her novel to make sure that I'm right about her, but I'm, I'm 99% sure that I'm correct Okay, The about Secret Donna History, Tart. that's the one to read. The worst ever book. Written. Oh, it was so good. I loved it. <laughs> All right. Those people are terrible. Anyway, let's go on. Um, so Rudin's coming back. Michael Shabon was never impacted by this whole thing. And we rate everybody's apology a zero. <laughs> <laughs> so how about who's sorry now? Oh, wait. Do we have to say why we rated a zero? Yeah, I said why I rated a zero. Oh, why do you rate it as high as you did? Oh, Shabon's? Yeah. Uh, I rated it as high as I did because I really felt that he was really sincere. Him. Oh, I do like him too, right? I like I again, I went in prepared to hate. I was like, yeah, this guy sucks true, and I true. know that he sucks. I just don't know how or why I know that he's bad, but I know it yeah. and I just have to prove it. Yeah. And instead, I I proved myself wrong. I see. So everybody but at the same time get right. a red pen and on a calendar <laughs> today mark it because this will be the one time that ever happened. Ever. So, so yeah, I'm going to say, I just feel like he is, um, he's not only is he nice and thoughtful, but he says, Hey, look, I get it. I have this one on for 20 years. It's absolutely inexcusable. And I don't expect anyone to forgive me or understand. Um, but I regret it. And there, there you are. Right. Um, and I'll bet you, may I as his, as his, newly adopted eldest son say that I bet he opens up a fund or does some volunteer work or gives some money to some anti-bullying stuff. What? I was going to say, I bet he doesn't. And we'll have to, we'll have to keep an eye on that because I I think that, I think that he is a privileged white man who is aware of his privilege and doesn't do anything about it to help anyone else. So I could be very wrong there. And he may have thousands of foundations and charitable associations that he donates money to and spends all his time in soup kitchens. I could be wrong. Uh, We'll find out somehow. We will find out because I, I (laughs) will, as their eldest son, I will invite you over to the house and you can see everything in action. (laughs) Okay. All right. Dad, my friend Juliet's coming over. She doesn't like you. Could you just like <laughs> leave, give her space? He totally would. He'd respect you. In the All way right, that you respect sweet. me, he would respect you. He's very generous and kind. And, and I'm See, trying it's to working already. <laughs> Good. Um, All right. Who's sorry now? All right. Who's sorry now? Um, so I am sorry now. And I was thinking, all right, you know, I've had bad bosses. Eh, sure. Maybe. Yeah, probably. Not abusive. Um, Good. And uh, except for one, and Uh-oh. yeah, oh, and it's a it was a icky situation. So once Uh-oh. upon a time, I um, 
in my early, 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 early days, uh, was laid off and had to scramble to find a job. And I had a friend that I worked with in a bookstore, and she was working at a home health agency. So basically, sick yeah. people would call up and say, "I need a, I need a caretaker, not a nurse, but you yeah. know, somebody that could do CPR and take a temperature, and also wash the dishes." Right. So cool. So I worked for six weeks there, and um, and on the surface, everything was cool. Um, you know, I I don't won't say too much about it. We'll say it was uh, minority owned. Okay. If that works. Marginalized people. Uh, yep. My friend was my boss. And it's true. They say, don't work with friends and don't let your friends be your boss. Uh, yeah, for sure. And it went from we were peers because we were friends to I was a horrible piece of shit who couldn't do anything right ever. Oh, my God. Right? And part of my job was to interview home health care AIDS when they came in to uh-huh. apply, right? Pre-internet, uh-huh. you had to come in, fill out an application, and then I had to take your driver's license and photocopy it. And I had to get a sense of like, were you legit? Were you right? Were you going to steal from people? You know, were you an yeah. alcoholic? Right, that kind of stuff. Um, so cool. And so uh, they were, even though they were uh, uh, minority owned. They yeah. were very racist. Um, a number of the home health care aides were Filipinas, and um, they had a pretty bad word for them, um, which they called them flippers, right? My God. I know. Wow. Yeah. And I'd never heard that before. So uh, everybody, if that's, a, if that's a really foul word to use, I, I'm of the opinion that it's a word they made up themselves made up. to discuss yeah. these women, right? But the disdain they would use. So, okay, cool, whatever. I'm America's hero, right? But I showed up every day for work because I needed the paycheck and I was hating life and oh, it was awful. And I was like, I just need to find another job and quit. Um, and so one day a nurse came in and, well, she was wearing a nurse's outfit. Yeah. And she was uh, African-American. And we had the nicest chat while she filled out the application and gave it to me. And I already knew they wouldn't hire her because yeah. they really didn't like black people. Like oh. it was because black people steal was how it was explained oh my to God. me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So America's hero still showed up every day for work <laughs> and took that paycheck. So uh, her name was, and she yeah. had uh, a last name that was near and dear to my heart. And, uh, so we were talking about our last names, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, that was all, I had such a nice conversation with her. It was still to this day, I remember it. And I remember it because I went into the copy room to take a photograph, a photograph, a Xerox, <laughs> a Xerox. of her driver's license. And it came, the paper came out and I was going to staple it to the application and then file it away. And then as the person who also fielded the calls that came in for help, yeah. I was going to yeah. wait until an African-American family called in looking for a helper, right? Or or maybe somebody that just got a vibe off of that was like, this will be fine, right? I was I was going to get her some work, um, but I was going to have to do it discreetly and undercover because like it was yeah. a big don't hire black people thing, right? I mean, I was told that. So, all right, cool. Well, the the driver's license came out and on the photo was a man not a woman 
And I was uh-huh. like, what? 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 And then I looked at the actually looked at the driver's license, right? And yeah. so um, he was transgendered and right. driver's license was male, right? But right. The, the personal real world expression was female. Right. So I was like, okay, this actually makes things even easier for me because we're just real close to West Hollywood and there'll be, you know, there are lots of gay people that call in. So maybe some nice drag queen or some nice gay guy is going to call in. I can find a safe, because, you know, my other thing was safe spaces for the, I'll just use the word nurses, but please, they weren't nurses. Sure. Safe sure. spaces for the nurses. So cool. Great. America's hero working undercover. Yeah. And uh, went out and gave her driver's license back and said, thank you very much. And, you know, I'll let you know if we have anything. And she got up and walked out. Now, this was an office building, right? And it was a shared office space. So you had different companies. And so they had bathrooms in the hallway. And the bathrooms were always yeah. locked because we were out by the airport and you had lots of people that wandered through looking for free places to pee. Yeah. So I turned to my friend, who was my boss, and stood there with the application in my hand. And everybody else was like 1990. So forgive yeah. me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea uh, she was a man. And uh-huh. I talked to her for like 20 minutes and I had zero idea. And um, my friend said, yeah, I wondered why you were wasting so much time talking to her. Right? Oh, my God. But, you know, her said in that way. And I was like. Well, you know, I don't feel like it was a waste of time. I feel like there'll be another um, person that will be able to send her out to. And my friend said, no, we're not going to be sending her anywhere. And I felt something behind me, right, in that way that you do. And turned around and there stood right behind me. And she said, hi, can I have the key for the restroom, please? Oh, my God. And I said... Of course. And then I looked at my yep. friend who was sitting in her office at her desk and said, hey, name, can I have the key for the ladies room? And my friend said, Uh-oh. what do you need that for? And so I just stepped back so that she could see was there, right? She saw me yeah. turn around. She saw me talk. She heard ask for the key of the restroom, right? But she still said that really shitty thing, right? Wow. To be shitty. And yeah, of course. I said... Here, she needs the key for the ladies' room. And yeah. who was the only lady that worked in the office, right? The guy who owned it was gay. Um, gave me her key. And then she left. And then she said, why did you ask me for the key? And I said, because I'm not going to send her to the men's room in a nurse's yeah. outfit. I'm going to send her to a space where she feels comfortable, Right. And then came back and gave me the key and left. So I would like to apologize to for that very uncomfortable experience. And while I did quit soonish afterwards, I did not quit for that reason. Whereas today I would say, oh, I cannot work here. Even, even if I was having the best time in the world with you guys, not, not with that. So uh, that is my who is sorry now. I am sorry to. Um, and while I tried to be an ally, it was an early learning one. I think that's more of a should be sorry apology or uh, thing. I'm sorry? 
I think that's more of a that story is more of a should be sorry story than a you should be sorry. I don't think you Isn't did anything wrong. Isn't it funny wrong. that you know her name? <laughs> well, you said it. Oh, did I? Yeah, we'll have to bleep it out. Oh, wow. I was trying so hard not to. <laughs> I was so impressed with your memory. I was like, how the fuck do you remember that? Wow. I remember though. Oh, of course. Yeah, she was yeah, she, we were great friends for the longest time. We would drive around L.A. like every weekend and get super high and just like drive. It was heaven. Were you friends with her after this? It got very uh, problematic. I tried. I tried. Um, so once I left um, and I gave plenty of notice. Right. Sure. Uh, and I made sure that everything was buttoned up and easy for the next person who came in. So right. cool. Um, and no hard feelings. One, I needed the reference, even if she was a friend and it was a shitty place to work. Uh, and two, that's just the kind of hero that I am. I, of course, right? of course. Uh, and then we hung out a few times after that, um, but it just, it didn't and it never. And um, I'll say that later she got fired and it all got real bad. And so fast forward 20-something years, and hello, Internet, and hello, Facebook. And I was doing my googly thing and was like, I found you. Yay. Because, you know, I just wanted to reach out. And uh, couldn't reach out to her directly for right. technical reasons, right? Um, and so I reached out to her niece, who I remembered, right? So when uh -huh. I say we were friends, like, I hung out with her family, her extended family. Uh, and her niece was like, yeah, I totally remember you. I will... And, you know, her niece sent me a friend request, which I accepted. And she was like, I'll totally, you know, tell my aunt and la, la, la. And then a couple of days later, we weren't friends anymore. Oh, She no. unfriended me and wow. I never heard back. I also didn't pursue it. Um, yeah. I was kind of like, yeah, okay. I know where that one went. Um, but I feel like now I'm at a point in life where I could say, hey, what a horrible time. And this is what I was going through. And this is how I was feeling about you. And I don't know how you were feeling. And then I know things didn't end yeah. well. And I, I felt like we could address it in a five-minute conversation and maybe move past it and send each other Hanukkah cards. But it didn't happen. But no. Oh, well. No. Apparently, there's a photo of me somewhere with some darts in it. <laughs> I'm surprised that she worked for a gay man, but she still had issues with, well, whatever. I mean, you think I tend to think people I'm who are accepting, that a gay man had are accepting of everything. Well, yeah. that too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, but it's that thing of like you always expect that marginalized. All right, here I'm going to use some words. Right. Marginalized right. people are going to be the most accepting. And no, because right. shit rolls downhill. And they're not. Yeah. Exactly. I feel bad, so exactly. I need somebody else to feel worse so I can feel right. better. Yep. Sad. Humans are sad. We're all canceled species. again. Two weeks in a row. We're all canceled again. <laughs> okay, so what about you? That was my last now, I guess, because, well, the only thing I could think of was a bookstore story. Um, I used to work at a bookstore um, called The Intimate Bookshop, which I can say because it doesn't exist anymore. It was in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And it was owned by the brother of some newscaster, uh, like, some like Walter Cronkite's brother or somebody's brother like that. I forget who it was. But anyway, um, I worked at the one in um, University Mall, I think. Yeah, I did. And um, the the boss I had there was 
really, she never liked me because she said my clothing was inappropriate. And I would go to work and I would wear like skirts and blazers and things like that. And my skirts were maybe like four inches above my knee. So like really modest in my opinion, but Mm -hmm. she thought they were too high. I think she was Christian. I think that whole group was Baptist. So that's probably what it was. Um, But I would wear high heels and things like that. And and it was just like, she made my life a living hell because she never liked me. So that was my, um, so she's sorry. She's very sorry now for what she's done to me. And how she's ruined my life. <laughs> she should be very sorry. <laughs> so that's all. I mean, I don't have anything to match your story, which was really good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> See the smile? See how big it is? Yes. I got positive attention today. The day's Yay. over. <laughs> I think our podcast is over. Speaking of over. <laughs> Click. Exactly. <laughs> <Click>. <laughs> So thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week. Same time. With even more. Podcast. With even more of the same, only better. We promise we try to get better every week. Whether we do or not is up for debate. Respectfully submitted. (laughs) Bye. Bye. to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>